Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we do thank you for your word to us in Romans. We ask that today that you would be helping us to understand it rightly and that you would be helping us to live in light of what you have done for us through Jesus. Amen. If you were going to pick the most significant event in your life, what would you choose and why? Would you choose an event of global significance, something that's affected a lot of people all over the world? Would you choose an event that was more personal, more particularly significant to you? And what makes an event like that significant? It could be about the people who are involved or the publicity that it attracts. But normally it's something to do with the effect that the event has on you. And so often our significant events are going to be things like starting a job, moving house, sometimes moving country, getting married. Because all of these things have a very significant impact on our day-to-day lives. And as we look at our lives, we can often see the ongoing impact of many of these sorts of significant events. And usually it's quite clear sort of what impact they have on our lives now. But what about the impact of being a Christian? If God has given his own son to save us, then shouldn't that have a huge impact on my life? But often this just seems a bit more abstract to us. And sometimes it's a bit hard to know exactly how this uh, being a Christian actually impacts in our day-to-day life. What sort of transformation should I expect to see in my life if I'm a Christian? This is the question that we're going to be thinking about today as we come to Romans 12. What's the impact of being saved by God on how we live now. We're going to see three key things. Firstly, we respond to God's mercy. Secondly, God's mercy transforms serving. And thirdly, God's mercy transforms everything. So we're at our first point, we respond to God's mercy. And as we come to chapter 12 in Romans, we reach a shift in the letter. Because up to this point, Paul, who is writing the letter, has been explaining to the Roman church uh, how God has, been, ha- has shown mercy both to the Jews, people to whom God promised salvation in the Old Testament, and to the Gentiles, which is everyone else. God's shown mercy to everyone by saving them through Jesus. Through Jesus, we can be right with God and freed from slavery to sin and welcomed into God's family. This context of God's mercy is particularly important for us to keep in mind as we come to chapter 12, because in chapter 12 and the following chapters, Paul starts to explain the implications of this mercy on our lives. So let's uh, have a read. We're going to start in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, the first thing to notice here is the reason why Paul is giving this instruction. He starts off with, therefore, because what he's about to say is building upon the foundations, the fundamentals 
that he's just been teaching the Roman church about, and particularly about God's mercy. He says, because of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a sacrifice to God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to offer your body as a sacrifice to God? Because this is different to the kinds of sacrifice that we would often talk about or hear talked about, where you offer up something that you have, maybe like an animal or some money, or in a more modern context, uh, a comfort or a right that we have. This sacrifice of your body is not a sacrifice of something you have, but of who you are. Offering yourself as a sacrifice means saying, this life is not my own, my life is God's. Because if you've received God's mercy, it means that you've been given new life, a spiritual life through Jesus. Offering ourselves, our whole selves, to God, uh, a life lived for him, for God, holy and pleasing to him. And Paul says at the end of verse 1 that this sacrifice is your true and proper worship. It's the right response. Offering ourselves our whole lives to God is the appropriate and logical response, the true and proper way to worship God. After receiving new life from God is to live for God. But how do we do that? How can we live our lives as a sacrifice for God? Well, let's read in verse 2. Do not conform to the passion of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Living for God means that we don't allow ourselves to be conformed to the ways of this world, and instead we are transformed by God as he renews our minds as he works in us by his spirit so that we see his will for our lives for what it truly is, good, pleasing, and perfect. And this renewing of the mind leads to transformation, being transformed to live by God's passion instead of the world's passion. And that's a challenging thing because the pressure from our world is to conform. When you're watching on the TV or Netflix, they want you to value what they value. Every ad on every bus, it wants to tell you what to desire. And your friends, they want you to love and validate the things that they love. But if we've been saved by God, then we're being transformed by him and not by the things around us. Now, you might be familiar with the book or movie To Kill a Mockingbird. It's the story of a lawyer who refuses to conform to the prejudices and injustices of his society. And you might have noticed that To Kill a Mockingbird isn't the only one. This is actually a very popular storyline. The good guy refuses to conform to what everyone else around them says that they should do or be. If you're not familiar with To Kill a Mockingbird, you might be familiar with Frozen or Zootopia or literally any other Disney movie from the last decade. They all agree that conformity is bad, but there's a fundamental difference between Disney and Romans 12. Disney doesn't want you to conform 
because you need to be true to yourself. God doesn't want you to conform because he is transforming you. Christians don't resist conformity because they need to be true to themselves. They resist conformity because they need to be true to God. We're going to see more about what this uh, living, this kind of transformed life looks like in practice as we work through the rest of the chapter, uh, and in fact, uh, as we work through the next couple of chapters over the coming weeks. But first, it's important for us to think about what is shaping us. If you're a Christian, someone who trusts in the mercy of God, then we are to be shaped by God's word, God's will for our lives, which we learn about through the Bible. And that means that if and when what the Bible says differs to what we do or what we value, we work with God's help to change, to be transformed as our minds are renewed. And it means that when our society says that God's way is oppressive or unloving, we will still see God's will as what it truly is, good, pleasing, and perfect. And it's important for us to be aware of the pressures that we face to conform to our world. So for one example, uh, as you're watching TV or Netflix or whatever streaming service it might be for your family, it's often an opportunity to relax but the danger is that as we're watching, we're also being fed values, the world's values, and often without even realizing it. And so as you're watching, it's helpful to intentionally notice what the show is telling you about marriage or money or family or work or whatever else it might be talking about. Notice it, don't conform, and go back to the Bible and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so be on guard as you're watching, and if you need to, there might be some things which are better not to watch so that we can be shaped by God and not the world. In view of God's mercy, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you might be here, and you might not yet have put your trust in Jesus, you might not yet have received God's mercy. And if that's you, I want to be particularly clear that what we're seeing today, and in fact, all of Christianity, is not about following rules. It's not about having good moral standards to live by. It's about a relationship where, in love, we respond to God's love. Because we've received mercy, we offer ourselves to God. So let me encourage you, there is nothing better than knowing God and knowing the forgiveness through Jesus. There is nothing more freeing than saying sorry for rebelling against God and trusting Jesus. Knowing God is far, far more important than anything else in life, even having good morals. So turn to him and let him transform you. So we've seen that God's mercy means that we live our lives for him, lives transformed by him. But the natural question to ask next is, what does this look like in practice? What does this practically mean for how we live and act? And fortunately for us, that's what Paul's going to dig into in the next couple of chapters. We're going to have a look at the first part of that through the rest of Romans 12. 
So we're going to see how God's mercy transforms serving. And let's read from verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So the first implication we have for a transformed life is not having an overinflated view of yourself. And instead, the instruction here is for sober or sensible judgment of yourself. And he says to think of yourself in accordance with your faith. Now, at first reading, uh, it might seem like Paul's saying that if you have a weak or a young faith, then you should be humble. But if you have a strong or mature faith, then you should be proud and maybe a bit arrogant. But no, that doesn't make any sense of what Paul is saying here. Rather, as we grow in our faith, we understand that even our faith is actually a gift from God. At the end of verse 3 here, Paul says that God has distributed it to each of you. And so it gives us no ground for boasting because it's purely a gift from God. Paul gives another reason for having this kind of humility, starting in verse 4. For, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so why should we be humble? Well, because we uh, have all received mercy through Christ and are united in Christ as members of one body. Paul uses this image of a body to describe how Christians are different but still completely united through Christ. Uh, so, for example, my ear and my elbow are different. They look different and they do different things, but they are united in my body and inseparable. At least I hope they're not about to be separated. And in the same way, Christians are united with one another. We may have different gifts and abilities, different ways that we can serve one another. We're different, but united. We're all one in Jesus. And so rightly understanding this truth again leads us to humility because it's a humbling reality that we are just one small part of the body of Christ and that we use our gifts not to build ourselves up, but in service of others. And Paul lists a number of different ways of serving here. Firstly, in verse 6, he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, then prophesy, but don't get ahead of yourself. If you have the gift of serving or teaching or encouraging, then serve, teach, encourage. If you have the gift, use it. Do what you can to build up the body of Christ. And if you have the gift of giving, teaching, or encouraging, then, uh, sorry, giving, leading, or showing mercy, then yes, do it, but particularly do it with the right attitude, generously, diligently, and cheerfully. There should be a genuineness in our desire as we serve one another. 
So what Paul's saying is that we should use the gifts that we've been given and we should use them genuinely in love. We don't have an overinflated view of ourselves or think that our gifts make us better than others who don't have the same gifts, but rather we serve humbly, knowing that we are united with each other in the body of Christ. And this is one example of the radical transformation which the gospel, God's mercy, brings to people's lives. While our society teaches us to focus our attention on ourselves, God's mercy teaches us to focus on others. While our sinful hearts want ourselves to be the centre of attention, our transformed hearts are humble and seek to serve others. And this changes how we think about church. An inflated view of ourselves says that church is all about me. A transformed, humble view of church of ourselves knows that church is about us not me but us one body united in Christ see church is not just about benefiting from the sermon being touched by the music church is about serving as well church is a place where we serve others in love and humility and so if you're a Christian uh, whether here in the building or joining via the live stream. But let me ask you this question. Why are you here? Now, don't get me wrong, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> but why are you here? Are you looking for opportunities to serve? Are you looking for ways to use the gifts that God has given you in the service of others? Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that you need to uh, get up the front and read the Bible or play in the band or anything like that, we can look for other opportunities to serve others in so many different ways. And so one which Paul uh, listed, uh, let me uh, suggest to you about how you might be able to encourage one another. So as we go home from church today, why not take the opportunity to call someone, maybe someone who is here or someone who wasn't able to make it today and encourage them by sharing something that you've been learning from God, learning from God's word recently. And so in view of God's mercy, don't conform to the pattern of this world, having an overinflated view of yourself, but rather be transformed. Think of yourself with sober judgment as one part of the united body of Christ and seek to serve others in love. Now, Paul started this chapter explaining that our proper response to God's mercy is to offer our lives to him and live for him. And next, he's going to give quite a lot of instructions for this sort of transformed life, instructions which are very broad and touch on a lot of different aspects as we see how God's mercy transforms everything. And the image that comes to mind is as you drop, drop a rock into a flat pond, you have the splash and then the ripples and they work their way out into every part of the pond. And in the same way, Paul has shown God's, uh, the core response to God's mercy, offering yourself as a sacrifice, and now he's showing how that works its way out into every aspect of our lives. And so these principles that we're going to be seeing are all flowing out of that core response and the response to God's mercy. So these are not just a collection of good moral principles to live by. They might be that as well, but fundamentally, 
they're all aspects of a response to God's mercy. We're going to step through four different aspects of this response, and the first one that we'll start with is love for other Christians. We see in verse 9 that we're to be sincere in our love, not just making a show of loving others, but genuinely from the heart. And unlike our world, we're to hate, to detest what is evil. Anger, pride, jealousy, lust. These aren't just minor things, but actually they have no place as we cling to what is good and hate what is evil. In verse 10, we're to be devoted to serving one another. In verse 13, we're to care practically for each other's needs. And in verse 15, to share in joys and griefs. Another closely related uh, implication is humility. This is very similar to things that Paul has been discussing earlier in the chapter that we saw as well. So in verse 10, we're to honour one another above ourselves. In verse 16, we're to live in harmony, not just with everyone who we think or our society tells us is our social equal, but with everyone, and not to conform to the pattern of pride and, and conceit. So, so far we've had love for other Christians, humility, and our third aspect is persevering in serving God. So verse 11, we're not to conform to laziness, Rather, we continually serve Jesus. Verse 12, with our eyes fixed on our eternal hope, we're to be patient even when suffering and continue depending on God in prayer. And our fourth aspect here is trusting God and living at peace. So verse 14, we're to actually bless those who hate and persecute us. And this is entirely countercultural. The wisdom of the world is that you pay out mercilessly on those who are mean to you. The will of God is that you do good to them, that you bless them. And again, in verse 17 to 21, we're told not to repay anyone evil for evil. Instead, we're to continue doing good and so live at peace, even with those who persecute us as far as is possible. And we can do that because, in verse 19, we trust God to do what is just. We don't conform by seeking our own revenge. Rather, we leave the judgment to God, and for our part, in response to God's mercy, we seek to do good. And so our four aspects there were love for other Christians, humility, persevering in serving God, trusting God, and living at peace. And these are all things that flow out of that core response of offering yourself as a sacrifice to God because of his great mercy to us. And this kind of response is radical. It is in no way conforming to the passion of the world. It's a life wholly transformed by God and his mercy to us through Jesus. In our lives, there are a lot of significant events that have a real impact on us but nothing is quite as significant as being saved by God because our response to that mercy radically transforms every aspect of our lives. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again to close. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Our Father God, we do thank you for your mercy which you've shown to us through Jesus. Thank you that you have saved us through him, that you've given us new life through him. We ask that you would help us to live our lives now in service of you, loving uh, one another and serving humbly, and that we would seek to have every part of our lives transformed by you and not conforming to the world. We ask this through the glory of your Son, Jesus. Amen.